my pray. Amen. So, question. Who is your father? Who is your father? Now, as soon as I said that, many of you already pictured your father in your head. You already have a picture of who your father is. And it's sort of a silly question to ask. Who is your father? Many of us know who each other's fathers are. It's probably one of the most frequently asked questions when people are just dialoguing with one another. People want to know about people's backgrounds, well, who their father was, who their mother was, who their aunt was, cousins, all that. It's a question in my line of work that I probably get asked once a week. Was your daddy Richard? Was your daddy the one that used to come and, and clean my house? Then sometimes I have to lie and say, oh, yeah, that was my dad. Oh, yeah, he's on vacation. Uh, and then other times I have to tell them, no, he, he passed away some time ago. If you are a father this morning, or if you are a child of a father, you know the special relationship that a father has with their child. The special bond that's between a father and a child, whether it be a son or a daughter. The father is the child's first superhero. You remember when your daddy was Superman to you? When daddy was Batman to you? Some of us have great memories with our father. The father is there to protect the child and keep the child from harm's way. Never let anything happen to the child. The father is also the disciplinarian in the family. He's the one who usually brings out the belt. Or he's the one that usually has to slap the child on the hand. Or he's the one that usually, like my father did, have to sit me down and just ask me questions. Why did you do that? Or what was the purpose of doing that? But we all have great memories with our father. Like me, for example, one of the greatest memories with my father is just sitting at the kitchen table and watching him cook fish and laughing with him and joking with him and and I can remember one time he cooked a fish or he was cutting a fish open and all of the fish's eggs spilled down on the floor. And I asked him, are you still going to eat that? He said, you bet I'm still going to eat that. I can remember riding in his old car listening to oldies on a way to get a hamburger. Great memories with my father. But like yourself, there's also bad memories we have with our fathers. The question of who is your father has gotten so popular that shirts have been made with a print. Who's your daddy? You remember that saying, right? Who's your daddy? It's a saying that we all used to say, especially when amongst our friends, because it, it shows that we have some type of authority over them. That I own you. That you come from me. You're mine. In fact, in the greatest movie ever made, probably in the most iconic scene ever made, or ever filmed, Luke Skywalker found out the hard way who his daddy was. You remember that? As Darth Vader reveals to him, Luke, I am your father. It's a wonderful thing to be a father, isn't it? Those who are fathers. We've even created fathers their own special day. 
in which nobody cares about, Father's Day. Some people who have had the luxury of growing up with a father knows how special it is to have a father in their lives. And some of those who haven't had that luxury have had someone in their life. They can point to somebody in their life that have filled that void of their biological father. The question of who your father is typically asked on an earthly human sense, on an earthly human level. And it usually requires a human as a response. But I would say the question of who's your father has more significance than we realize. And the answer to that question of who your father is determines where you will spend the rest of eternity. So far in the book of John, we have asked ourselves many questions. Are we true disciples of Christ? Or are we false disciples of Christ? And what do those two groups look like? Who is Jesus? And do we accept who the Bible says Jesus is? And if we do accept who the Bible says Jesus is, then how do we live in light of that? Today, I pose to you another question. Who is your father? Which line do you come from this morning? Who's in your family tree? It's a question that I hope we consider this morning. It's a question that's both physical and spiritual. It has a dual nature. And the way you answer the question of who's your father will determine who you serve. Today I have two points for us to consider. The first point is the children of the devil. And the second is the children of God. And in these points, we will look at what it means to be a child of Satan and what it means to be a child of God. So let's stand for the reading of the word. John chapter 8, verses 39 to 45. Actually, let's start at verse 37. So 37 to 40 to 47. John chapter 8, 37 to 47. The word of the Lord says, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do what you have heard with your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works of your father. They said to him, we're not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth, 
because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear from them, hear them, is that you are not of God. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. To refresh your memory, Jesus is having a conversation with some Pharisees, right? We have record that these Pharisees might actually believe in Jesus. That these Pharisees, matter of fact, do believe in Jesus. Now, to the extent of their belief, we aren't sure. For we know that already in this book, we've seen false professions of faith. It's not an uncommon thing for someone to follow Christ and then to drop off. As you remember in John 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Remember? Everyone loves him. Everyone wants to follow him. Everyone is looking for him the next day. And then Jesus opens his mouth and he says, you need to eat of my flesh and you need to drink his blood. What happens then? Everybody just immediately drops off. They think he's crazy. They can't believe what he just said. So this is the pattern that we're seeing in the book of John. People follow Christ when it's beneficial for them, when Christ does a miracle for them. But when Christ opens his mouth, they say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the Messiah that, that I've come accustomed to learn about. It's very true in this church world that we live in also. People coming to see, receive the benefits of Christ. Maybe you have come to church to see, hey, maybe this, maybe if I go to church this morning, then, then something good can come out of that. Jesus then tells them that if they abide in his word, they are his disciples indeed, and the truth shall set him free, shall set them free. This then opens up a debate between the Pharisees and Jesus over Abraham. And particularly Abraham's seed, Abraham's line, the children of Abraham. You see, these Pharisees thought that because they were of Abraham's lineage, because they were of Abraham's line, that they receive also the promises that were given to Abraham. But as we will see today, Jesus will dismantle absolutely put to shreds everything that they thought about who their father is. And then he will reveal to them who their real father is. Verse 33, the Jews say, we are offspring of Abraham and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it you say you will become free? Drop down to verse 37, 38. I know you are the offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard with, from your father. So let's first understand who Abraham is. Who is this man, Abraham? Abraham, next to Moses, is probably the most revered man in all of Jewish history. The most revered man in the Old Testament. As the story goes on, we first learn about Abraham in Genesis 12, as God calls him out of a pagan city. 
and promises to Abraham, or Abram at the time, that he will bless him and make him a great nation. Then, as the story progresses, Abraham is then promised a land and a people, a son, or particularly a seed that will come from his line. Now, those of the Jewish descent look to Abraham as their father because they can trace their bloodline back to Abraham. They believe that they are the seed or they are the sons that were promised to Abraham and in return have nothing to fear about their eternal destiny. Abraham to them was their, their uh, Willy Wonka golden ticket. They were that, they, Abraham was the, the ticket. Abraham was the card to get into. If you say that you are from Abraham's line, then there was something special about you. They believed that they were the seas, that they were the ones that were promised to Abraham. They pretty much banked on their physical descent as their protection. One rabbi put it this way. Abraham himself sits beside the gates of hell and does not permit any wicked Israelite to enter. One Jewish man said this debating Justin Martyr. They who are the seed of Abraham, according to the flesh, meaning coming from Abraham's line, shall in any case, even if they be sinners and unbelieving, disobedient toward God, share in the eternal kingdom. It doesn't matter who it doesn't matter if you're a sinner. As long as you are a Jewish person, then you're good. Then you're from Abraham's line, then you're a okay. This is true in Christianity today also. People believing that well, because I was baptized, I'm okay. People believing, we even have children believing that because they grew up in church that they're fine. That's a false assurance of faith. That's very common, though, in what we see in Christianity today. Jesus tells them in verse 37 that they are the physical offspring of Abraham. He agrees with them that, yes, I do agree that you are from Abraham's line, but he's not your father. Sure, they might trace their lineage back to him. They might be in Abraham's family tree. But what these Jews are failing to understand is just as the question of who's your father has a dual nature. There's a dual nature in Abraham's children. Paul tells us in Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made by, to Abraham and not to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings. Referring to many, but to one. And your offspring, who is Christ. Paul is telling us that the promise of a seed that was given to Abraham doesn't refer to a national physical seed, but to a spiritual seed. Amen. When God was giving the promises to Abraham of a seed, God was speaking of spiritual terms, yeah. of a spiritual Amen. seed that would come. Jesus here is telling these men that, yes, you are the physical seed of Abraham. But you are not the true seed of Abraham. Whoever is found in me are the true children of Abraham. As Galatians 3.29 says, If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. 
heirs to the promise. Christ is the fulfillment in which all of Abraham's promises were given. That's good news. That's exciting news. Why is that exciting? Because our God is a promise-keeping God. Let me remind you that it was a fulfilled promised seed that saved you. Let me break this down. Genesis 3.15. A seed. God promises a seed that will come and crush the head of the serpent. Later, God destroys the earth by flood, and the seed is preserved by means of an ark. As the story develops, this seed is promised to Abraham. And whoever blesses his seed will be blessed. And the rest of the Bible, the rest of the story of the Bible tells the story of God preserving this seed until we reach the New Testament and we reach Matthew and the genealogy of Jesus screams that the God who made a promise in Genesis 3 has now fulfilled and kept that promise in Jesus Christ. Our God is a promise-keeping God. Brothers and sisters, if you ever doubted God's word, look what he has already done in Jesus Christ. If he made a promise in the beginning and he kept it in Christ, then all the promises are yours. Don't ever fear. Don't ever let your head down. A promise in the beginning that was made by God. It was kept by God. For one particular reason, that is to save you in spite of you. The spiritual children of Abraham were always the ones who the promise was for. You are Abraham's children. Because you are in Christ, because you are of Christ, then you receive all of Abraham's blessings, all of his promises. Being of Abraham's line never mattered. Being from his physical line never meant a thing. John the Baptist made that clear in Matthew 3, 9. And do not presume to say to yourselves, as he's talking to these Pharisees, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. Paul reiterates that point in Romans 9, 6. Puts a nail in the coffin. Well then... Has God failed to fulfill his promises to Abraham? No. For not all who are born into the national of Israel, nation of Israel, are truly members of God's people. What does that mean? That means you Gentiles are God's people. This whole time, these Jews thought the Messiah was for them. But... Christ tells Nicodemus in John 3.16, For God so loved the world, everybody from every tongue, tribe, nation. You are incorporated in that. We can even say that the rest of the book of John is the outworking of John 3.16. As Christ is going to every people group, the Samaritans, people in Capernaum, and also his own in Jerusalem. Now, starting from verse 39 down to verse 44, I want you to see this. Jesus will start to slowly build the genetic makeup of who their father is. And in each verse on down, he will give these Jews a characteristic of their father. Until in verse 44, he drops the bomb on them. 
of who their father is. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, then you'll be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. The first characteristic that they share with their father is they both seek to kill Jesus. The Jews say again, Abraham is our father. They totally ignore what Jesus said in verses 37 and 38 because they're already pre-programmed when they get into a situation they bust out the Abraham card. No, 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 you don't understand. Abraham is our father. No matter what you say, Abraham is daddy. So what does Jesus do? He tests the legitimacy of their claim. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So now Christ puts in their view of two works. We have two works here. Abraham's works and your works or their works. Jesus saying, Abraham believed God. Abraham believed in the promise seed that was to come. Abraham believed in me. And it was credited to him as righteousness. You think you believe me. But my word has no place in you. Abraham, when he saw me, and you can read this in Genesis 18, he welcomed me in. Remember Genesis, um, in Genesis 18, Abraham sees three, men, three angels. One of them is God. This is the pre-incarnate state of Christ. What does Abraham do? Abraham welcomed me in. Better yet, Abraham cooked for me. We had fellowship together. He embraced me and he received me. That's what Abraham did. What do you do? You reject me. You despise me. The very person that, that Abraham embraced, you want to kill me. Abraham only saw a shadow of what's to come. And he looked forward to the promise that was to be fulfilled now that fulfillment of that promise is in your midst and you want to take the promise away. You are not doing what Abraham did. You are not Abraham's children. Usually in a family, the children will copy what the mother and father does. Some people like pastor have told me that I walk like my dad with my head down. We all have characteristics from our father. My sister is loving and compassionate like my father. My brother is smart like my father. My other brother is very headstrong like my father. I don't know what I am. But usually in a family tree, in a family, the offspring will copy what the parents do. Amen. Say things that the father usually says and do different gestures that the father does. Abraham believed the truth, but you want to kill the truth. You resemble your father. Yeah. You don't resemble Abraham. 
I met Abraham. I sat down with Abraham. I ate with Abraham. You don't look familiar to me. I don't know if Abraham claims you. Here Jesus is saying that the works that you were doing weren't passed down from Abraham. This is not from Abraham's line, but, but this is from another. True children of God do what Abraham did. And what did Abraham do? He believed in Christ. The first step of being a child of God is by placing your faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. In a world that we live in, where many think that all paths lead to the same destination, let me remind you that Jesus said that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can't be a child of God without believing in Jesus Christ. And this is a sad reality as Jesus says in John 8, 24, unless you believe in me that I am he, you will die in your sins. Yes. Yes. Let's look at the Jews' response in verse 44, 41. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality. What a bold statement for them to make. And this is why. These Jews hint back to a time when God told Abraham that his 90-year-old wife, Sarah, will have a son. Remember that? Abraham gets impatient with God's promise, so he decides to have relations with Abraham's slave, Hagar. They bore a son named Ishmael. God later gave Sarah the son whom he promised, named Isaac. But Ishmael wasn't the seed that was promised to Abraham. Ishmael was a seed that was born of sexual immorality. These Jews were saying that we're not the children of Hagar. We're not born under that line. We're not born the same way Ishmael was born. We're born under divine intervention. The way Isaac was born. We're from Isaac's line. But this is also a slight jab toward Jesus. These Jews must be thinking that, well, you're coming to me with this father stuff. We know who our father is. But where in the street is, you don't even know who your father is. You know, people say that your, your mom was a virgin. And you're not even Joseph's offspring. So either something happened in the womb that was crazy... Or Mary gets around. People around this time knew about Jesus, knew how Jesus was born, and, and they probably were thinking that Jesus was an illegitimate child, illegitimate child. And these Jews understood that. You might be born under sexual immorality, but not us. We come from Abraham's line. The promised seed line. Amen. That divine intervention line. Yes. They even said, we have one father. We have one father. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here now. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. 
Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? Jesus here is reiterating what he's been saying this whole time in the book of John. That he's from heaven. That he's been sent from God. That he's been sent by God. Jesus also said that if they truly were children of God, that they would love him because the Father loves him. This is the second sub-point of what it means to be a child of God. You love Jesus Christ. You believe in Christ and you love Christ. You find Christ as your supreme joy and your love for him never fades. That's why I find it so shocking how people can turn from what they have in Christ and all the benefits that they have in Christ and look to a world that they think that can replace Christ and fulfill all of their needs better than Christ. Makes us think that are they even saved to begin with? To love Jesus is to have a renewed mind. And oh, how important that is in this day and age. To see things in a more biblical framework is to love Jesus and to have his passions, to have renewed passions, a passion for sinners, to love people enough to tell them the truth. What is that? That they need to repent and turn to Christ. It is to want Jesus to be made much of. It is to allow Jesus to have every chamber in your body and in your heart. It is to have a love for the elect that are out there waiting to be redeemed. Let us ask ourselves that question this morning. Is your life reflecting Christ? Is your love for Christ that deep? Is your ultimate satisfaction in Christ? Is your joy found in Christ? Or is Jesus to you what you want him to be? Is he the one who you call on only when times are rough? But you see the interesting thing, the thing that distinguishes people who love Christ from the people who don't is during tough times, not only do we call on Christ, but we stand on Christ. And we don't allow circumstances to interfere with the glory that's to come. I was reminded of that Thursday at the race. That these trials that we are going through, they make us like Christ. And even in the thick cloud where we can't see anything, and we're standing on all of that rubble that has been affected by that great fall and that great sin, there stands the God over all of that who is working everything out for his glory and for your good. This is what it means to love Christ. Let that be a reminder to you that through all of this, you will persevere. Jesus says in verse 43, Why do you not understand what I say? Is it because you cannot bear to hear my word? Children of the devil have deaf ears and blind eyes to the word of God. They despise every word of it. Yesterday I was talking to a man named Roland. We had a great conversation. And the minute I started talking about God and his eternal state, he stopped. And he said, I got to go. This is so common when speaking to unbelievers. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man... The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, or they are foolishness to him. 
He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This is exactly what Jesus is telling these Jews. You can't understand my speech because you are not able to listen to my words. Confirming what Jesus said in verse 33, my word has no place in you. The word of God has no place in the children of the devil. Unless God opens the eyes and reveals himself to them, they will, like Jesus said, die in their sins. And that's a reality that we have to all come to grips with. They will receive what's rightly deserved to them, which is judgment. So, so far, Jesus has slowly been revealing to these Jews who their father is. These Jews do the deeds of their father. These Jews have seen the same thing that their father has seen. These Jews do not love Christ. And the words of Jesus are foolishness to them, just like it is to their father. They are boasting in being Abraham's children. They claim to be God's children. Now in verse 44, the paternity test is in. Jesus finally reveals to them who their father is. It's not Abraham. It's not God. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. These men do have a father. And it's the devil. Not in the sense that the devil created these men, but like how J.C. Ryle put it, The devil only finds them born in sin and working upon their sinful nature obtains such an influence that they that he becomes practically their father. These men are children of Satan. These men are the children. They are the seed of the serpent. These Jews are Satan's children. First John three, eight. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. But you have to get this, though. This isn't just a Jewish thing. This isn't just a Jewish problem. This is a human problem. Ephesians 2 says, "...among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh." carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Jesus is revealing to them who their father is, and the overall picture of it is, he's revealing the human condition of man. Man is at enmity with God. Paul tells us in Romans 8-7, For the mind is, that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Man is evil. Mark seven twenty one to 23 for, with, for from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, wickedness, deceit, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a person. This is not just a national Jewish problem. 
This is everybody's problem. Everybody is a child of Satan when they are born. They are not of Christ. They are not in Christ. God is not their father. The devil is their father. Jesus then paints a dark picture describing their father. First he said he was a murderer from the beginning. Satan in the beginning murdered the whole human race. Origen says that it was not man that the devil killed, but the whole human race in so much as in Adam we all die. Jesus says the devil is a liar and a father of all those who lie. And if you read your Bible long enough, you don't need, you don't need to read until Matthew to understand the devil is a liar and the devil is a murderer. These two characteristics of Satan we saw in the beginning, in the garden. Jesus tells evil eye, thereby murders the entire human race. This is the father of all those who don't believe in Christ. They share the same desires, the same attitudes, the same gestures, the same characteristics. If you are not in Christ, young people, then you are children of the devil. You are in Adam and you will die in your sins. This was a death blow to the lie that we grew up hearing. The lie that we grew up learning about and the lie that we tell our children. Everyone's a child of God. That's exactly what the devil wants people to believe. And what better way of sending people to hell is by giving them a false assurance that you're okay. You're a child of God. This is the same false assurance that these Jews had. You're Abraham's children. You're good. Abraham sits at the gates of hell. And he'll allow no Jewish men to enter that thing. If the devil was ever to come on this earth and orchestrate his plan, the number one thing he would do is give Christians false assurances. You're all right. You're okay. You're a child of God. We know this as universalism. Everyone's getting in. Because everyone's a child of God. I don't believe Muslims are children of God. I don't believe atheists are children of God. Mormons for sure aren't children of God. J-dubs ain't children of God. The only people who are of God are the ones who are found in Christ. Jesus builds this genetic makeup of who their father is. Then he drops a bomb on them. You are your father, the devil. Satan is your father. And boy, I wish John would have wrote down their reaction. (laughs) Can you imagine their faces when Jesus told them that? You know those little emojis with the big eyes? Or maybe the one that does this? You can probably picture that that's their reaction. The devil is our father? Verse 45. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Jesus tells these men, which one of you convicts me of sin? 
Jesus this whole time has been building his case of their sinfulness and their depravity. He's been building a case of who their father is. But now he gives them the courtroom. He gives them the opportunity to indict him. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Well, we heard of this type of language before, haven't we? The beginning beginning of John 8, a woman is caught in adultery. They bring her before Jesus and ask him a question about the law and what they should do with her. Remember that great story? Jesus begins to write on the ground. Then he stands up and says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. One by one, they drop their stones. Jesus is now placing himself where the woman was. He's now telling these men, which one of you convicts me of wrongdoing? He's crying out to them, which one of you convicts me of sin? He's in the same position where the woman of adultery was in. And he's telling them, bring it on. Where's your evidence? Where's your case? Throw your stones. If you can find anything wrong with me. And if I was there, if we were there, you can, you can imagine the silence that was in that conversation. There was no record of Jesus doing anything that disobeyed the law. These men had nothing to say. And in return, no one will have anything to say about you. This, this is deeper than this story right here. When Jesus says, which one of you convicts me of sin? He's also speaking of the people who he has loved before the foundation of the world. When we stand at the day of judgment and the devil comes in and brings forth his best evidence of the father. My Bible says that those who are found in Christ, who have faith in Christ, we have an advocate. And this advocate is currently undefeated in all of his cases. Jesus Christ. Nobody will have anything to say about you. Because you are not of the world. You are not a child of the devil. You are saints. You are children of God. The very evidence of you being here right now to listen to me speak to not even sleep in this Sunday morning is evidence that either God is working in you or he's already worked in you and you're his now. In Christ alone, our hope is found. We are dressed in his righteousness alone and we will be faultless when we stand before the throne. Who's going to convict us of sin? We are marked out by Christ. His perfect work, his perfect obedience, his perfect righteousness, his perfect sacrifice. Last verse, 47. Whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Jesus, again, is reiterating the point that he's been making this whole time. You're not of God. 
Your father is not God. Your father is the devil. So this morning, I ask you the same question I began with. Who is your father? Who is of your family tree this morning? Who do you belong to this morning? If you have placed your faith in Christ, then thereby I welcome you to the family of God. If you say that you trust Jesus Christ and his finished, accomplished, perfect work and not of your own, then today's sermon was simply a reminder to you of God's goodness. You were once those Jewish men that Jesus was talking to. You once couldn't bear God's word. You once didn't desire truth. You once, like I said already, but in Ephesians 2, were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. You once followed the prince power of the air. The spirit that is not a work of the sons of disobedience. Your father was once the devil. You were once the seed of the serpent. You once resembled Satan and his deeds and his words and his actions. But like many times we see in the Bible, those two precious words, but God. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ. What? While we were dead in trespasses and sins, he made us alive with his son. But God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion, Christ dies for you. If you are in Christ, if Christ is yours and you are his, then today was a reminder of, of who you used to be. Yes. For those who came in this place this morning with struggles and trials and temptations. This morning, take a look back at who you used to be. Remind yourself of the person who you once was. When I think about who I used to be, when I hear about stories of my friends and what they are doing now, some of them on drugs, some of them are still living that fast life, some of them without Christ, it only brings me to my knees before God who by his grace sent his son to die for me in spite of me. All the times I could have been taken out of this world. God preserved me for a time like this. So I can stand behind this pulpit and tell you people, it is by grace alone that God has saved me. We are who we used to be. Remind yourself of the person who you once was. And sure, we mess up every day. Every day we commit a sin, I'm sure. And the war in this body will never end. But praise be to God, because even though 
I'm not who I once was. I strive to who God has called me to be. Praise be to God. Because I'm not who I once was. I am his and he is mine. I'm no longer a child of Satan. I'm no longer a child of wrath. I'm a child of the promise. I'm a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm no longer an orphan. I'm adopted by God. I'm no longer a slave. I'm a son. I'm no longer a peasant. But God has made me an heir. In the words of John Newton, I am not what I ought to be. How imperfect and how deficient. I am not what I might be concerning, considering the privileges, my privileges and opportunities. I am not what I wish to be. God knows my heart. He knows I wish to be like him. I am not what I hope to be. Before long, I will drop this clay tabernacle and be like him and see him for who he is. Yet I am not who I once was. A child of sin, a slave of the devil. Though not all of these, not what I ought to be, not what I might be, not what I wish or hope to be, not what I once was, but I can truly say with the apostles, by grace, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Saints, you are a child of God. You are children of the covenant. My physical father might not be here. But God has replaced him with someone who is far more greater, who is far more grand, who is far more glorious. Someone who will never leave me nor forsake me, who will never fail me. And in the midst of all this, he gave me himself. As I get older, I see the big picture of it all. God took my father in order to save me. And I hope when that time has come, when your loved one is gone, you will have that same conviction. We are children of the promise. We are children of God. Don't ever let that slip your mind. Stand on that. Remind yourself of that every single day. Let's stand. As we take communion this morning... I pray that we examine ourselves. I pray that we examine who we used to be. I pray that we look to the promise that was made, the promise that was kept in God sending His Son, Jesus Christ, and saving us, redeeming us. And one day he's going to call us home. Let us remember that this morning, that sacrifice. That sacrifice that was oh so long ago. But by the means of a Lord's Supper, we remember it every single morning. Glory be to God. May his name reign forever.